HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Cheese State University. Cheese State University was created for dedicated cheese professionals seeking to deepen their knowledge, sharpen their skills, and build connections. Join them in the Ivy League of Cheese Education at cheesestateuniversity.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cutting the Curd on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Joe Salonia. On today's episode, we have Lassa Skinner. Lassa has been a cheese professional since working behind the counter at Formaggio Kitchen in Boston in 1995. Lassa then moved to Napa Valley in 2000 and focused on bringing cheese to the wine country, then eventually started a cheese shop there. At the same time, she founded Culture Magazine and later conceptualized and put on Counterculture to meet and further cheesemongers' education. She co-wrote Cheese for Dummies and has taught many classes, then wrote Cheese Boards to Share. Lassa currently, currently resides in Connecticut and works as a cheese consultant with her company, iPolypus, and she loves Heritage Radio. Lassa, welcome once again to Cutting the Curd. Thank you, Joe. It's a pleasure to be here. So when was the last time you were on the show? I think it was, maybe you had one of your one of your books come out. Was it in 2019-ish? I think it was 2020, actually, because it uh-huh. came out in 2019, but I it was towards the end of 2019. So I think it was Diane that was, mm-hmm. it was me and Diane. So that mm-hmm. was the last time. So it's been several years. And, and when the world, that, that's like dog years. So that's like uh, literally, <laughs> that's right. it's, it was, it was three it was years ago. Years, 10 years ago and yesterday depending on which angle you're looking at it. So many things have changed and and we all are shaped from that period and we're still being shaped. So what what would you how would you what are you up to these days? What would you describe your present day role is in the cheese world today? What are you what are you up to? Uh, so I call myself and I have for a number of years called myself a cheese professional, uh, which kind of uh, covers all bases. Um, but it, pretty pretty much uh, since starting in cheese and also with the many varied things I've done throughout my life, I, I'll just take on projects as they come along. Um, so I've been doing that ever since 2019, since um, leaving Culture magazine. 
So do you have a project that you're able to talk about that's happening right now? Are you looking for a project? Did you just finish a project? Um, I, so the last couple of years, I've been working uh, with traditional Swiss cheeses, as in Gruyere, Emmentaler, uh, Raclette, um, Appenzeller, and Tête de And um, this last, just this year, I have started doing some work with the California Milk Advisory Board. So representing um, California cheesemakers in various things. So I literally just came from the CMI masters and um, was with them and did a little presentation and just kind of brought the California cheese people into the world of the CMI. Oh, wow. So they, yeah. wow. So that's kind of, that's a new frontier for them even. That's surprising, isn't it? It is. I was, I'm uh, very pleased about it. I think it's, um, you know, something that they, they certainly, I know the California cheesemakers are eager to be in and they've done it separately, but not under the, the umbrella of the CMAB. So I uh -huh. think there's power in that. And I think the California cheese scene is, I think it, it's well known to be fairly exciting and pretty amazing. So it's, if there's any group in the U.S. that I know really well, uh, personally and professionally, it's the California cheesemakers. So I'm pretty, pretty happy that I've been doing that. I don't know where yeah. it's headed. I don't know what that's mm -hmm. about, but that's my, my latest. Right. So, so with such noble work, like you just mentioned, just like, oh, you know, I've just been doing these things. You mentioned working for some of the most canonical cheeses in, in the world from Switzerland. You mentioned CMI masters, and now you're mentioning California uh, cheesemakers as a group that you're, you know, leading to, uh, maybe quite literally metaphorically some greener, greener pastures, but let, let's back up though. Um, you've had a lot of interesting and inspiring twists and turns in your career. You've worn many different hats, which is why to me, you're a fascinating person to talk about when it comes to work and your points of view. So could you I'm sure that you could spend a whole show just describing the many things you've done, but can you give us an overview of how you got started or when mm. was your first like watershed moment? Like the, how did you know that when it was, whenever it was that you knew you wanted to work in cheese? What, That's what, a what good question. I, I, I can't say that I knew um, that I wanted to work in cheese. I, I did peeling back a couple of layers. I started Early, early on in my life, I wanted to be a writer and I wanted to be an archaeologist. And um, that is what I studied in liberal arts college, um, all of those things. And I majored in archaeology and I went and did that for a number of, for six field seasons in the field in Kenya. Um, and I, I really loved that experience because of travel, which I think ties in a lot to this, but also human culture. And kind of being around, um, you know, a whole different culture and seeing what they did. And I was, I was running the field camp as well. But for me, when I looked at academia, I decided that it was not the thing that I wanted to get into. It was very cutthroat um, and kind of counterintuitive to what I thought learning was about. It was, it was very limiting. So I went away for a while. I actually headed over to Australia, kind of went, I call it my walkabout year. Um, and I was traveling, but I was really thinking about what I wanted to be in my life. And um, Give us a, an idea when that was. When, when were we talking about? That's around, uh, around 94, 93, 94. 
So I went to college and in my 20s, I was an archaeologist and um, and wrote voraciously, but really for myself. So I kept a lot of notes and I did a lot of soul searching. Um, And when I just when I was over in Australia, which is with my father's Australian and I have a family over there that I absolutely cherish, who are very wonderful. So I did feel like that. I was allowed to kind of think, be comp- contemplative. And I became very clear at that moment that I was very interested in agriculture. And in um, I thought I was going to go into wine. But I really had a thing about food that was very um, important to me. So I came back to the U.S. and I did a culinary certificate um, at Boston University and immediately got got working because I had no money and, um, and I needed to work and I worked in restaurants. I did front and back a house of catering, freelancing, and I got a job at a cheese shop, which I knew I was interested in cheese, but that's kind of my first foray. And that was 95, 1995. So what was the moment you thought like, you know, I'm going to work at the cheese shop. Uh, That's, that's what I want to do. I, I mean, it was the flavor I had, I had already done a little bit in cheese, to be honest with you, back one summer, my freshman year at college, I went to Boston and I worked in a startup gourmet shop and I ended up on the cheese counter. And I tried goat cheese, an aged goat cheese for the first time um, that was French and it was raw milk. And uh, I was like, what is this thing of which I eat? And it was the flavor that no, my family didn't grow up with cheese. I had never had this kind of experience. Um, we'd eaten a lot of incredible foods, and I'd traveled a lot, but not this. So I already knew the f- there was a flavor thing going on for me. And I thought, well, it's I'm a dairy girl. It's I worked in ice cream. I'd scooped through college, and I just mm-hmm. loved dairy. So, um, so you followed what you liked. I did. And that's kind yeah. of a thing that I kept doing, which was like, you know, maybe yeah. it's not the wisest thing to do, you know, in terms of the way people plan their lives. But I really was like, I'm going to succeed if I if I like what I am and what I do. So that's kind of how I've worked my life in general, um, doing multiple things at the same time, simply because there's not, I don't have enough money coming in, which isn't mm-hmm. easy, but juggling it. And then um, kind of seeing what fits and what doesn't. And s- sometimes just, you know, kind of winging it. And um, it's, it's not the safest way to go, but it's kind of, I think life isn't necessarily about being safe. Yeah. Well, you you must have taken some not safe steps at some point. So you, the way you, if you're reading your just your overview on your bio, you were at Formaggio Kitchen, which is still to this day is one of the best cheese counters around. And you worked there. That was your first job. Mm-hmm. So that was a good way to start. And then you moved to the Napa Valley around 2000. And then somewhere in this time, you founded a, a, a cheese magazine. No, it was a little bit later, but yeah. So there was a succession if we have, I'll just go quickly through it. So I moved out. So uh, I I did do all this stuff. So I had a background in food that was very solid and I had done, worked in it since I got the culinary certificate. So five years. And I was at, you know, did, I I had worked at Formaggio Kitchen. So I knew quite a, a, a decent amount about cheese, but I also had this 
strong food background, um, hands-on. So when I just knew I wanted to be in California because I was a farm-to-table gal, I already had decided that, and I just did it and got out there. And what I found when I moved there was that the wines, the wine scene was booming, but there was no real, there was no cheese happening in wine country. So I ended up getting a job at a wine bar uh, right in St. Helena and saying, could I potentially start a little cheese program for you? Um, and that was kind of just a, you know, you guys open to it and they were totally open to it. And that's where I met Tamales Bay Food had just started and I called up Tamales Bay Foods and Kate Arding, who was from England, had come over from Neil's Yard Dairy, picked up the phone and I'm like, hi. <laughs> and <laughs> we, we struck a friendship and she helped me, you know, guide me on what they had available on the West Coast, which was very different from what yeah. they had available in, uh, in my Formaggio kitchen experience. Mm -hmm. And then I met the cowgirls who were just started up, um, uh -huh. you know, and then I met uh, Point Reyes and it all just kind of wow. moved a from lot, there. A lot yeah. of alignment going on there. Yeah, a lot and of it. And also, um, you know, I mentioned agriculture and writing and I mm -hmm. was writing articles, you know, I was writing mm -hmm. wherever I could get food articles published and I uh, applied and got the farmer's market manager at St. Helena. So I started really being heavily involved in the local food scene. And it, I think that's really where it all came together for me. So mm. you get in and open doors. Right. So you're, 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 you're doing these things you enjoy. You have a passion for writing. You're in, you're in cheese, you're in the wine area, you're meeting uh, like-minded people who to this day are, are practical luminaries in their own right. Um, and then at some point you start, you have the idea to start a magazine. Was that in a meeting? Was that something you did, you were thinking about on your own? You ran it by somebody? Was it, were you having a glass of wine? What, <laughs> well, I had many that? glasses of wine and yeah. I continue to, but um, it was Kate, Kate Arding and I, um, uh, mm -hmm. there was an, on offer basically for, um, for, a for us to start a cheese shop and Kate wasn't really that interested, but she was interested in helping me, um, set up the thing and working as a consultant. So the two of us did that. And as we were doing it, um, and this is in the Oxbow cheese merchant in downtown Napa. Mm -hmm. Um, we were, we were like, you know, we really should start something like online or do a, um, you know, a, a, some kind of a, a we're very old fashioned, both of us. So we're thinking, you know, something that's educational, both for cheese people and for general consumer. And that's where the first idea came up. And then my sister, Stephanie, who uh, had a background in um, custom publishing, was doing a gig um, out on Northern California and staying at my house when we were starting up the shop and heard about this and said, you know, maybe we should do a magazine. So we're like, Huh. huh. Okay. Look so that's that. where it came together. And that was in, everything happened in 2007. That's when the mm -hmm. shop opened. And at the same time, the magazine was born basically, which wasn't overnight, yeah. <laughs> I might add, but. Okay. You know, I, I vaguely remember holding one of the few uh, issues back, back then around there when I was yeah. at, uh, at a, at a food, at the San Francisco food show. Do you remember the uh, white one with the blues on it stacked up? on top of each other. That was the original. 
Aha. Uh-huh. Yes. Maybe not vividly, but I just remember th- thinking like, wow, this is, I remember thinking like, what a cool name. Who came up with the name? Because cultures, like cheese cultures, obviously, I mean, very yeah. clever, but like well, culture also really <laughs> describes, like we do have a cheese culture. Like we're- Well, and we're culture, like a, you make like use cultures to make cheese. I mean, it's- Yeah, a, both. Well, it is it. a brilliant name, I will say. And yeah. I will also say that we- came up with a lot of very not good names and had a lot of laughs over that. Um, so that was a brainstorming session collectively. We had many it, it, brainstorming it sessions. It wasn't just like, you know, you were like, hey, let's call it. It was it, no. something, it was a process that might have led to that. And it almost wasn't called that. And then I what will- was it? Wait, hold on, hold on. What, what was it almost called? Oh, like, it can was you share almost that? called Cheese Toast. Cheese Toast. Like toasted wow. cheese, but funny yeah. cheese toast. Yeah, I like culture better. That's good. I know, too. Well, our parent company was Cheese Toast, became Cheese Toast. So uh-huh. um, anyway, but it, it is not. So the person who came up with the name actually was a, a friend of mine from who, who I had met at a farmer's market named Kelly McKinley. And she just happened, she came up with a few different ones and like, you know, rind or wheel and wedge or something like that. Mm. And then... Um, and then she said, how about culture? And I was like, huh. So I mm. brought it to the girls and we discussed and it beat cheese toast. And you have a slogan too. I mean, that's pretty solid under it. Yeah. You know? so well, that's you- the thing is that, you know, culture, first of all, culture was already taken. Uh, if you look online, it's a hair magazine, like, uh, oh, like okay. making hair. And I think there's also like a, a cannabis magazine okay. um, or it was, but. <clears throat> anyway, so yeah. we did the that because it, it needed the word cheese in it. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. the word on cheese, and of course, this is what editors and people who work in magazines, because I, Kate and I didn't know the first thing about, you know, what does the cover need to look like, that kind of thing. But what yeah. we did know was cheese. So we were like, well, when we started this, the whole idea was to, was to make the cheesemonger's life easier by educating the general consumer about cheese so that the cheesemonger wouldn't have to constantly teach them everything about cheese. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, but what we had was the two people who were cheese professionals, Kate and I, that were, that, you know, kind of came in and said, well, we have to start somewhere with this. And um, so let's think about what the consumer knows or doesn't know. So it just informed us as we went along. And it's it's it was a journey. Yeah, <laughs> it's a journey. It, well, it's a, it is every you know, so many or all the issues could be used as a tool to, for anybody in cheese, especially cheesemongers, you know, to help enrich their knowledge, increase their passion. I mean, so yeah, mission accomplished. Um, that, that was this sort of the sentiment behind what led you to write a cheese for dummies book. Same idea yeah. to help. Yeah. have something around that's in, in one place that could be also a legacy piece that it could be used to strengthen knowledge for people even new to the world of cheese or well, new to uh, cheesemongering. And all of the For Dummies books, I think, are quite amazing. And um, if you look if you look at them and you've seen them, they're very, they're quite formulaic and and concise in what they are, even though there's quite a bit of information in there they're fun to read and there's, you know, bites everywhere. So what happened with Cheese for Dummies is that the Wiley, which is the publisher, came to culture, and this was in 2011, and said, 
we would like to, we'd like to do a book on cheese. We would like to offer it to see if someone, if culture would do it and culture as in Kate and, you know, Kate basically and me, Kate wasn't very interested in doing it. And I thought this is really, I was still, you know, working at running the shop. So, you know, I was busy, but I'm like, this is a great opportunity and it it's right along line with our mission. So I tapped Laurel Miller, who was a writer with us, who I was a friend with, good friends with. And she and I worked with Wiley uh, using their structure and created uh, Cheese for Dummies. So that's how it happened. So I'm sure both of these important bodies of work have brought you ha- having a, a very meaningful reason to to do exchanges or to meet and have dialogues with all kinds of cheese shops, big, small, independent groups, uh, all different structures. Do you see any common denominators about what the any pros or cons that you could share with a, a new monger exploring? A, you know, how, how they can better decide whether they know they want to work for an independent shop, a group, a bigger group, a small group. Um, is there a question they should be asking themselves? Is it, or do they just need to like cheese and work for a company that represents their people? Like what, what, what do you uh, I think find? There's a lot of answers to that one, but I think the number one um, thing is to think about it. <laughs> what, what, what do you, what do you need economically? I mean, you, sometimes being a monger uh, is, you know, a monger is someone who sells cheese. So um, you, and it, it is a, I really hate it when people say it's a labor of love because it really is, it's just something that you, um, you should be able to make a living out of, but depending on where you are and what, what's going on, it's, it's not always that. And we all, we, we all know that. So hence the reason why I, I would say, figure out what you need to make it make you make your living situation tolerable or comfortable and that so think of it as a business move and then um, either have other things that go along like you know everybody has their skill sets so what are those skill sets or what are those other things you can do um, and, and you know play to your strengths like we said previously uh, it's not something I was taught to do I was kind of taught to, okay, if you're not good at something, focus on that and get good at it. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, I don't have much, I don't have more time yeah. in my life to do that sometimes, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, well, um, as simple as it can be, it's a tricky thing, um, uh, for, you know, but it c- comes natural to some, not as much to others. But I- I'd like to think that there's, um, you know, some gut checks, but, but just hearing, you talk about it, and, and there's some more. I want to dig into this a little deeper, but first, I, we just need to take a break for our sponsor. But I want to dig into this kind of thing when we come back from our break. So okay. just hang out a sec. This episode is brought to you by Cheese State University. Cheese State University was created for dedicated cheese professionals seeking to deepen their knowledge, sharpen their skills, and build connections. It feels like a gift to be able to give this gift to people because I know that from my own experiences, I know how valuable, consolidated, Mm -hmm. incredible training resources are. They offer an in-depth education on all things cheese, as well as an active network for peer support and career development. You can pop over to the Quad, which is our social networking and engagement app. Um, And so that's a really fun and dynamic aspect of Cheese State University. Cheese State's three-part course is designed for seasoned pros and entry-level mongers alike. 
and covers all the skills one needs to perform on the cheese counter. The structure of Cheese State University is all based on the Cheese State University Field Guide. Um, and that is a three volume resource. It's all digital online. At the end of the course, students will be ready to ace the field guide assessment and earn their Cheese State Scholar Certificate. Another resource is a video series where we tackle sort of like these thornier questions that you can get on the cheese counter, like what is rennet? And like, why is this cheese so expensive? And can pregnant people even eat cheese? At Cheese State, you're among experts, you're among scholars, you're among cheese lovers, and most importantly, you are a monger. Join them in the Ivy League of Cheese Education at cheesestateuniversity.com. Welcome back, everyone. We're here chatting with Lassus Skinner on Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. Lassus, before our break, we were talking about things to consider if you're new to the world of cheese, pros and cons or, or of, of the smaller or bigger groups or independent versus corporate structured cheese uh, businesses. What, 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 uh, what could be some of the uh, questions that um, people could be asking themselves um, I, I think this is uh, maybe where to go. Like, what would be the best advice for anyone in their career, at, you know, even at their current job, whether they're new or at their current job? What, what are the questions we want to be asking ourselves when looking for a job or if you're going to, you know, take uh, into account where you are? Um, I have thoughts on this one, too, but I'd like to hear, hear yours first. Like, if you're at a job or you want to be looking for a job, what is the basic things you want to be looking well, for? Well, everybody comes at it from a different, you know, point in their life. So, um, but I'll just take somebody who's, you know, potentially got the world a little less un uh, unencumbered and, um, and, and maybe is a little more open to change and um, is really exploring what they want to be, which I think isn't everyone, but I, I think we can all help try to get there at points in our lives. Um, so I, the number one thing I would say is um, focus. And um, when it comes to any shop, no matter what size it is, I, I number one think you have to respect the owners or the people in charge um, when you come in, because those are the people who are setting the precedents and doing things. That doesn't mean they're gods, just like, you know, anybody, nobody knows everything, but you are there to learn and work with them and put your head down and learn and work. And mm -hmm. then think about your skills and what potentially they might want to have added to what they're doing with this shop. Mm -hmm. Because so, I think there are a lot of yeah. opportunities that don't get seen. I mean, even sign writers and people like that, I've seen them get started in this. Mm. People who have musical talents or design talents or, you know, history talents. And, you know, it's like, it's yeah, amazing. It's, 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 our field lends itself so much to music, our history. Yeah, for sure. Even your passion in, in archaeology, you can, I'm sure, draw a lot of lines. I hear you're, you're, you're describing... My soft spot is is to cut to order mom and pop independent shops, but there are these a lot of there's a lot of good smaller groups. There's some powerful big groups that are doing great jobs, uh, all varying degrees of. Uh, well, they all have their pluses and minus minuses. They have different limits. Um, how do you how does someone choose whether they know they want to uh, work for a bigger or smaller? It, it, I guess that might come natural. Uh, that 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 answer may come natural, but. 
what what do you think is the uh, risk for one or the other? Do you, do you think there's any one way to to uh, just? That's a loaded to, question. To, uh, yeah, it is kind of loaded. Um, um, I think again, I think that um, you know lo- location and viability of some because sm- some small shops um, you know are incredible and they really put their money where their mouth is with their employees and with their trainings and you know everything. Um, but that's not, that's also the case sometimes with the larger, uh, corporations, uh, or, you know, chains varies by counter and by people. So I guess what I'm saying is the subject is going to stay the same. Uh, it's Mm -hmm. cheese, but it's who you are working with at a time. And I can think of many occasions where I have been either in a great work setting with people at a, at a larger thing, but because of the people I'm with, it's just a dream. Yeah. But, but a people can make the job. Yeah. Right. And it's the same anywhere. So I think, but again, if your paycheck isn't enough to carry you through, you're going to have to really think seriously about where yeah. that, that is about. And I think this is a conversation we have in the industry all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, to, to add to that. So for me, I, I've narrowed it down where there's like three tenets or three buckets, if you will, uh, that I find in any job. I think this could apply to anything, but to me, uh, and in, not in any particular order. Um, so there's the learning. You want to be learning. Uh, that's one bucket. Uh, fulfillment and joy, another right. bucket. Right. And then compensation, right? And, and I, I would also add... Um, if you're, I guess that goes with with happiness, which I have put in. But mm-hmm. you know, you can get tra- feel, feeling trapped, and I think claustrophobia can be something that leads not only to unhappiness but to some strange behaviors. So unfulfilled, <laughs> not unfulfilled. and not happy. So, right. uh, yeah. So learning one bucket, fulfillment and joy, second bucket, compensation. Now, if you can get all three, you're you're great. You yeah. got a good thing. Right. Two out of three, depending on your life situation, you, you might justify two out of three and just go for years that way. Right. One out of three, mm, it, you might be in a situation where you could be bettering yourself. Zero out of three, you, you're just yeah. Why? You, why are you doing this? You know why? Yeah. You, you know if you're not any any of those three do not apply. That's not a, not a good situation for yourself. No, no, you're absolutely right about that. And um, you know, I do think that um, it's easy to. It's not. It's if you do have this great group that you're working with, you will overlook many things um, just simply because you come in and it's a joy to be there and you're learning and tasting and all of these things. But I'd also say that things change. So even if you set, you have a great situation, something yeah. else may change in your life and some somehow that things shift and it doesn't work. And that, so I think you have to know how to adjust and trust your gut. If yeah. It, if it doesn't feel right, it's sad, but it's it's there's another door opening somewhere else. Well, that's the thing. It's, it's such a, a tricky thing, right? We're uh, we're fearful of change, uh, and so sometimes many of us stay in situations that are not serving us, not healthy, or or worse. Um, but there's there could be key, key signals to switch things up. You seem to be able to read the tea leaves. You've you've made hairpin turns and have had <laughs> success stories to to talk about. Um, so if well, you have not any, easy. I mean, it's, yeah. so it's, it's uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable, but I don't, I don't fear change. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, it happens sometimes 
I feel that sometimes it's better to make change happen than wait for it to happen for you. So I think uh, if you're really if you if you're really aware of what you yourself feels and are you know feel capable of doing, and if you're kind of resting and you're not feeling like you're learning something and that are happy, just of like the three things you said, you gotta you gotta be brave. And, yeah. Uh, it's because life's short. It's yeah. Really well, short. Hopefully, ha- hopefully knowing those buckets and getting a little more fulfillment, uh, or a little more clear on them will, uh, you know, maybe bring some clarity. It has for me um, to, 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 to honor those three buckets. And sometimes, yeah, you, you, you need to, if you have obligations and family members who need you that rely on you financially, you might have to put a lot more weight into the compensation and you might have to give up one of those other ones because you just need to pay bills and you have obligations. But um, everybody's situation is a little different. Yeah, it might change. It's not, you know, if if you're lucky, you know, you will be able to do things and not have painful transitions. Mm. I have had many painful transitions and I don't, I think it makes you a more interesting person in the end. That's my way of looking at it now. And, mm. um, you know, I, I, I would much rather hear about somebody trying something and failing at it than never trying at all. Um, yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's yeah. just the way it is. It's, it's one of those uh, famous sayings, right? Um, that, that sounds something like that. Um, right. So <laughs> don't you, do it. <laughs> you, and, and you were, but, but you also, um, whether it was uh, uh, chance or you, you were identifying this, this wave, this California wave in the late 90s, in yeah. the early 2000s, where cheese yeah. was booming, wine was still booming. Um, do you see any regions today that might have a... Um, not, not literally the same, but like another potential like that, where there's agriculture and cheese coming and booming or, or coming up or, or maybe it does involve wine or some other product. Like maybe the cider thing is going to be I think upstate uh, New York is pretty awesome. I have some yeah. great people that, that I tapped and, you know, who really built counterculture with me and they're in upstate New York and there. And I think that cider is a natural with, with, um, with cheese mm-hmm. and, you know, there's a lot going on there. So I think that is a, if you're thinking America, um, but I think I am a big believer in your own backyard. So, you know, stuff that's right around you, there's a lot of places that are really, you know, incredible food wise. Um, and I'm, I, you know, I can't say one is going to be better than the next, but I think it has to do with the community mm-hmm. and, what their goal is. Certainly I look at Vermont and I think, wow, what a, an amazing group of people doing an amazing job, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So for sure. Uh, I live in the Northeast, so I definitely feel you on the New York state and the cider vibes and the small distilleries. And, but exactly. a lot of States can tout, uh, you know, some of these things too. It's just that I'm more familiar because I'm here in the Northeast and I can drive my car there. But um, but there's also the climate, the environment, what parts of the country have just, you know, been, been, you know, have been, had havoc wreaked upon them, like California, the the Pacific Northwest, you're talking about incredible fires, floods, droughts. It's just nuts what's, what's been going on Mm -hmm. there, you know, um, what, you know, what's, what's. Uh, U.S. wide, I would say you get environmental issues. You, You know, we had a drought here in Connecticut last year and it was a pretty, pretty, severe drought. That's right. And so I don't think anybody, I think it's true that California is definitely going through massive uh, environmental 
changes, but I, I don't see, I see them adjusting very well to that, to be honest with you, in terms of their ability to support their farmers and to continue to do even more environmentally sustainable things. So where there is some of this or some really incredible, you know, hardships, there often are really incredible solutions mm. and, and community working together. So I, I just, you know, having just done this thing with the California Milk Advisory Board and I was researching some of the things that they're doing with, um, you know, the land and making sure that they are reusing and upcycling foods and feeds and, and robotic milkers and things that seem like, oh, it's taking out the glamour of it. But no, it's so much better for the animals. And there's well, explain upcycling for a second for those uh, like that word is a little bit new to me. Upcycling so, is yeah. um, when. So if you think about California in particular, but any place that is producing um, things like almonds or any other foods that have waste that is associated with it. So I'll take almonds, for example, or distillers, um, um, you know, things that distillers or, or waste products from distillers, all of those things become food for something else. Mm -hmm. So upcycling is taking one thing like your farmer down the road that has you know, the blemished apples and vegetables and things like that and feeding it to your animals so that mm -hmm. there is no waste whatsoever. And then it becomes more, uh, you know, food for, for them. And so the, it's taking what it, it's not just recycling, it's upcycling. Yeah. Now, like a way for pigs, the pig's meat gets used for uh, delicious sausage. That could also count too, right? Well, absolutely. But, right? you know, yeah. there's so much of it, like cotton um, husks, you know, hulls and uh, mm. almond husks, things like that. All of these things are yeah. waste. That yeah, we waste a thing. lot. We waste a, we, we waste so much. I mean, just like, uh, uh, I mean, even just something as simple as understanding what Uber is. It's like, well, we didn't make a bunch of cars and hire, like the, the, the cars were here. We yeah. needed the ride. So it's like, there's so much that's in front of us. It's just being wasted. If we could just connect dots, you know? Well, and that, uh, you know, that very example is kind of, uh, it, it's based you have community kind of working together. What one person's mm. waste is another person's need. And, and you know, it, it's also just, well, um, where is, you know, what, what, where is this going? I guess it's anyway, I, I want to be like an Uber app, almost like there is for all the junk it's, in your house. And someone picked, there needs to be like, Hey, I'm throwing out a bunch of corn husks. Who wants them? <laughs> well, that's pick the them thing. up in front that's, of my house. You exactly know, that could, right. Who knows? Maybe that can lead to something. Well, uh, and, instead and of having it, to drive down to the compost place, maybe you know people come around <laughs> and pick it up in front of your house if it's easier, and that's right. what's what they what they well, you're want. Very, and this is I kind of going back to that think think out of the box a little bit and start mm -hmm. to think about what you can come up with. There is an entrepreneurial aspect to all of this, and I think anyone who's in business of any sort um, and who sees where things are going, if you're actually working and really seeing what needs to be done to make something more efficient. Um, and are proficient in that, you're going to start seeing what needs to get done and where you might actually be helpful. Mm. And those things lead to work and they can lead to, you know, this is where the aha moments come. So if you don't get in and get going, you won't see any yeah. of that. You got to get in, you got to get going, you got to see these things, which, um, and then get inspired, be open, be open-minded, think out of the box, be yep. entrepreneurial, like, let's shake it up. Like, you know, start, start, know that anything's possible. Um, do you think that travel is like, like, 
is it necessary, non-negotiable, or that everybody, not everybody, but people who have the passion in our industry should make it a point that there needs to be some kind of farm visit happening, uh, oh, yeah. whether that, whether it involves an airplane or a train or just driving to your local farm. But you and I, I mean, like, hey, you and I, we <laughs> had the great experience of traveling together in Switzerland, right? We we literally played yeah. the Alphorn in the high altitudes it's in true. an alpage dairy next to cows chewing their <laughs> cud in the wee hours before watching, like, a cheese get made. Um, by the way, an Alphorn is a giant wooden eight to nine foot longhorn with a brass mouthpiece. Um, you see it in the Pitrex uh, Alps of Switzerland. <laughs> it's a Swiss national instrument, by the yeah. way. Yes. It's a real thing. And I have but to getting, remember that you yeah. were able to play it, and I know I was not. So uh, you were definitely better I, than I was. I, I, I played a brass instrument in grade school. It helped me. Uh, but it. the mouthpiece was tiny on that thing. I was, I was, used, to, I was used to the baritone, more like a trombone style, uh, bigger. <laughs> anyway, but yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm assuming you don't just travel to these places for, for the croissants and the, and the, and the delicious butter. So should travel be something that needs to be a, more of a priority for shops and their staff and to have a reach with their suppliers and vendors to tap again, resources that are there maybe, mm-hmm. well, um, I and think connect some dots and, I do and get, think get on a plane or go someplace. It does. It Matt, I don't think it's mandatory, but I think number one is mandatory. You must get to a farm. You must get to a dairy mm-hmm. farm and this, and one that really is a place where you can see if, if it's a farmstead, um, uh, dairy, which means they're making the cheese there. I think it is the only way to really see the entire process and really get it. And I think the other part with that, because you can see it in the video, but you can't smell it and you can't mm. touch it. Yeah, and you, you know, right. it does. And I think, you know, like Springbrook, you know, has their farm to city kids or whatever that's called, where they take people, mm-hmm. kids from inner city and bring them out to the farm. I think it changes them. Yeah. Farms for city kids. Yeah. Farms yeah. for city kids. Right. And, and I really, you know, I really believe firmly in that, but I also believe very firmly in travel. And I think travel, as you said, can be a train ride or, but it, it makes travel is the best way to learn of anything that I know because, and that's just, that's my opinion because yeah, I you am like, a, I mean, yeah, you're just a fault setting. You might like travel anyway, but it really feeds you. So especially when it's with someone who doesn't mind talking about cheese or agriculture or dairy or food Absolutely. like 24 seven, right? Isn't it? That's the beauty of well, it. Like it, it, no one, ta- no one's worried. Hey, Oh, here you are talking about cheese again. Like uh, I can't, like, I can't really do that with uh, uh, my brothers or my cousins who I love dearly. And they're probably going to listen at this point, but they love talking about <laughs> insurance and it wouldn't be fair to them if I talked about cheese all day long, but like for, for our, our crew, it's what you do, right? You just talk all yeah, day but, long. But you say you talk about cheese, but I mean, the thing that makes me so passionate about cheese is that there's, you can never know enough about it. There's so many yeah. angles that you can talk about with cheese that you, yes, I believe you can talk about every day with your family about cheese. You just I drive them nuts. I can't only, there's only a, a limit. You can come yeah. at it from a totally different way. And I think yeah. that's actually really important at a consumer level too. You know, if you look at something like the magazine, I mean, we explore constantly, um, you know, different avenues of this one thing, but it's because it's so multidimensional and, and it is yeah. really the most basic difficult thing ever (laughs) it's more pardon me for anybody who's in wine or whatever but i do 
I believe very firmly that cheese is one of the most difficult foods to get right. Yeah, it is. It's such a beautiful thing though, right? I mean, with all that's wrong with this world, isn't it some, we'd find some hope and solace knowing that cheese is still made every day somewhere Yeah, and almost all over the world. Just cheese is still being made. Yeah, It's a beautiful thing. That's true. Um, what trends, I just want to ask you this too, because I, you know, you have the overview here. You've, you've seen a lot of things, both coasts and things in between. Do you, are there any trends you remember when you were coming up from years ago that you like to see come back, like certain styles of cheese or cheese accompaniments that maybe somebody new in cheese might not be aware of? Like for me, I don't know. I don't know if I've, maybe I'm in the wrong stores, but, or, but I haven't really seen, like what happened to the Pepidou? Like, I don't know, <laughs> did the Pepidou go away? I'll have a look. Next time I'm out, I'll I'll look for Pepidou. We'll see. But that's a a good one. Um, So I think one of the things that I see happening, which I really love, which goes, which follows along the lines of travel, is that there is an increasing diversity of cheese styles. And Mm -hmm. that, like, for example, paneer and Oaxaca, you know, string cheeses Mm. that are made into balls or braided and things that may seem like what is that you know or whatever but it, to me that means there there's a culture that's growing that I don't know a lot about so it opens up a door for me to think about those kind styles of cheeses and mm-hmm. so that's something i think as a country we it, it can it, it's kind of a a fascinating thing but maybe it's because there're just more people uh, of color coming into the field but also there are more reasons for us to be trying new cheeses and new cheese styles. I'd really commend that. Uh, absolutely. And I hope it, hope it continues to be part of the, um, of, of our, of our sphere in our conversation. Um, I, I think it's just a matter of time before these cheeses are more easily uh, available or more better understood. Yeah. I think better. You know? un- they're definitely available. They're just not really deemed a specialty uh, in the mm-hmm. same way. They're kind of more of, and a lot of them are ingredients, um, mm-hmm. which doesn't mean they shouldn't be a specialty. So I think, you know, the more people try them and kind of get to know what they are and, and can taste the differences and, and the cheesemaker's skill or the milk quality and all of that, then, then there'll be a growth in that, in those categories at a, at a different level at the cheese counter. Um, the other thing I think is I, I hope that we continue to see more and more raw milk cheeses um, mm-hmm. that are domestically produced um, as well as, you know, anything coming in. I just feel that it's an, it is still part of the psyche that, you know, Lola's just make, let's pasteurize and just go there. And I, I think it inherently does actually change the flavor of the cheese and, that is produced from raw milk versus pasteurized milk. So that matters to me. Um, and I mean, you know, there's many kind of trends, but I, I do think that when it comes to cheese that we should be aware, just, just more and more aware that these cheeses that we're trying do come from, uh, you know, many, many, many millennia of, of tradition. So just think about it. You know, it's it's an awesome thing to walk up to a cheese case and just see all the styles there. Yeah, you could really uh, meditate on a cheese case and just try to, you know, each try to ex- understand what each cheese, what it took for each cheese to appear there. They all took a different path. They all yeah. have different histories. 
um, some some were uh, you know uh, made literally by hand, and 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 there's so much to to learn and absorb there and appreciate. Um, and that's not easy because life can get in the way. But you well, know, and and I do some, hear people say, oh, you know, I I people don't read signs, but I have to say, if this if the signs in a cheese case are legible and they are they're not just jammed in and there's so much there that the consumer if they're looking for cheese they will read them i really believe it and if they take the time and i think if you you know this is something for cheese counters that you know when you're creating a a, a cheese counter it's a lot so think about what the consumer is seeing and don't overwhelm them it, it yeah. you know be thoughtful about what you're putting out there does it yeah it's, it's overwhelming <laughs> easier easier said than done because we I love know. so many cheeses we <laughs> want to put them all in the cheese case we want well, everything well then rotate right? them yeah yeah uh, it's a balance it's it's a real it's a, it's a real trick it's another another few topics for the next few shows i think just right there alone there you go i yeah. hear the plays <laughs> well lasa i, I just want to say thank you for being on the show um i hope uh, for what even we covered today was enriching to the cheese collective listening to this podcast and uh, we've helped feed their cheesy souls um so thank you and please come back again when we can schedule maybe another topic with you anytime you want me i am would love it all right and thank you to heritage radio i think you guys are terrific well thank you back um well all right everyone you could follow last at instagram at at philosophy skinner Plus, you can follow us on Instagram at Cutting the Curd and follow me at Sting Chef. Please listen and subscribe to Cutting the Curd via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, a friendly reminder, the ACS scholarships are open for application, so please visit cheesesociety.org backslash scholarship if you're interested in applying for scholarships to this year's conference. And they're also looking for volunteers, and there'll be training available for all the volunteers at the ACS. And lastly, the DCTA and DZRA application season is now is beginning. It's open. Please visit DZT.org for the application packets. Thanks again, everyone. And if you love someone, send them cheese. Cutting the Curd is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.